Welcome. This sermon podcast is a production of Refresh Community Church, where Dr. Carlos Smith is our lead pastor. Our vision is to see our hearts refreshed by Christ's presence, our relationships renewed for Christ's purpose, our lives rebuilt by Christ's power, and our communities restored by Christ's people. We pray that you are blessed by today's message, and we look forward to seeing you in person soon. We are opening our Bibles yet again to the Gospel of Luke. Um, and I know some of you may be like, Luke again? Yes, Luke again. Um, so we believe here at Refresh Community Church, um, we have a high view of Scripture. We believe in an inerrant, infallible Bible. And I believe when you have, when you believe the Bible is actually the Word of God, I believe it demands expository preaching. Um, if we believe that God breathed out every one of these words, then we do well to consider these words in their detail. Um, So we're going to be hanging out with Luke for a while, but if it makes you feel better, we're only going to be reading half a verse today. Um, Luke chapter 6, verse 21, we're continuing our walk through the Beatitudes. So we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 6, verse 21b. And if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 6, verse 21b. And here's the reading of the scripture. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Let me pray for us. Eternal God, our Father, we thank you. God, while it may feel oxymoronic that we are weeping now, but we will laugh, and weeping now makes us blessed. God, help us to understand your word, your will for our lives. Be with us now in this preaching moment. I pray that you would, that you would remove your hand from the text, that we may behold wonderful things in your word. And I pray that you would speak to us this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. You may have your seats. I would like to lift for us this morning the thought, the prophetic tears of the blessed. The prophetic tears of the blessed. Uh, This may date me a little bit, but I ain't worried about it because I'm going to be 40 next week. So I ain't even worried about it. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. That's right. I, um, I, I didn't already, uh, I, I had the last year to mourn. Uh, and so now <laughs> I was like, "Woo!" this last year, my thirties went quick. This is wild. Um, I just looked up, was 39 and then I blinked and now I'm 40. But so this may date me, but I'm cool with it. They tell me when you get this age, you get a little more comfortable in your own skin. And here I am. Um, but when I was in high school, um, a movie came out, um, that became one of my all time top probably three movie franchises, and I'm not a big movie buff, but I love this movie and the franchises um, that came from it, The Matrix. Um, This movie came out uh, while I was in high school in 1999, um, and when this movie came out, I just, I I was amazed by it. I watched it over and over and over again, Um, and uh, I was actually in a high school class on literature interpretation, and y'all know back then, one of the best things that can ever happen in your life is to teacher wheel in the TV. This is before TVs were flat and thin. This is when they, when they was trying to unbig the back of the TV. It was still, <laughs> TV still had a big back and they rolled that thing in there and it was strapped down so it didn't tip over. <clears throat> we watched The Matrix over the course of a few uh, classes and my teacher who was an interpreter of literature um, who had a big impact on me 
unpacked all of the Judeo-Christian and the Greco-Roman and the uh, Eastern symbolism that was wrapped up in the matrix. And it was just a series that uh, blessed my life. But there's a guy who's uh, known as the one, y'all know his name, what's his name? Neo, Neo, Neo's the one, Keanu Reeves, and he is uh, met by a bald-headed gentleman in his dreams, by, or what he thought was a dream, by the name of Morpheus. And Morpheus shows up in Neo's dream, and he offers him two peel, a red peel, and what color is the other one? A blue peel. He offers him a red peel and a blue peel. The red and the blue peel represent a choice between the willingness to learn a potentially unsettling, life-changing truth or by remaining contented in the deception that is the matrix. And so Morpheus pulls up to Neo and he says to him, hey, look, you take the blue pill, the story ends. You wake up in your bed and you believe whatever you want to believe. But if you take this red pill, you stay in Wonderland and I can show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. And so we know the story. Neo opts for the red pill and he is located, finds out that he, while he thought he was living a wonderful life as a computer programmer, he found out he was nothing but a Duracell battery plugged up in the matrix. And he is unplugged and he all of a sudden um, goes to find out what the world is truly about. And when he discovers the world as it existed some three or four hundred years after when he thought it was, it was nothing like what he thought. The world was, was gray, was dark. He found out that human beings were a hunted species who were simply used for battery power and that robots had took over the world and that nothing was as it seemed. And while this information was enlightening, it did not make him happy. In fact, it was unsettling, scary, and frightening and even caused him to weep. And today, what I would like to put before us is that when Jesus is standing here on the Sermon on the Plain or Sermon on the Mount, whether you're reading Matthew or Luke, Jesus is, in a sense, trying to help us to see the world as it truly is. And when Jesus introduces us to this, when he says, blessed are you who are poor, the hungry, blessed are you who weep now, and he shows them the world, and he begins to unpack how we are blessed if we are actually weeping, what he is saying is that I want you to take the red pill and see the world through my lenses and remove the self-deception that makes you think everything is all right. You see, one of the things about the gospel that is troubling, that is hard sometimes, is that before you can get to good news, you have to reckon with some bad news. Before you can actually get to the joy and to the celebration, you have to weep first. And he, so he says, you're blessed if you weep now, because if you're weeping now, that means you are seeing the world as it actually is. You see, prior to Jesus Christ, the Bible does not mince words, people of God. I know it's not popular to talk about this today. I know your favorite Instagram preacher don't talk about it quite as much as maybe he or she ought. But here's the reality. The Bible does not mince words about our conditions prior to Christ. It says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2 says you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan himself, and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest 
of mankind. We were dead. We were unplugged. We were nothing. We were not truly alive. We thought we were alive. We were in the matrix. We thought we were living. We thought life was good. We thought everything was all good until one day God wakes us up. And when we see ourselves for who we truly are in the light of his holiness, it can cause you to weep. And so, What we see as Christians then is that we have this view of ourselves where we see ourselves as we are, but we also see the world as it is. The result is that when we begin to see the world as it truly ends, we can be, truly is, we can be simultaneously very pessimistic as Christians because we understand the nature of human beings, but we can also be optimistic because we know what the hope of the resurrection is. You see, St. Tim Keller of Manhattan once wrote, he said, the Christian answer to the overly optimistic or overly pessimistic modern views of history is the resurrection. Christianity, paradoxically, is far more pessimistic and far more optimistic than any other worldview simultaneously. On the one hand, the Christian view of human sin is that we are deeply flawed and can't save ourselves and we may indeed have some terribly bad stages of history ahead. No other religion has as dark a view of human depravity. We are capable of great evil. But the Christian promise is not that every chapter in history will be better than the first, but that in the end, all things work together for good and that God will eventually bring us not to a disembodied afterlife, but a renewed material universe with resurrected bodies. That again is something only biblical religion promises. And so God holds out before us, Jesus holds out before us and before these people who were pursuing after Jesus because he was feeding them, healing them, and making them feel better. He says, if you actually want to be my disciple, I need to change the lens through which you are seeing the world. And when you actually see it for what it is, it will actually make you weep. And so What we see in this text is that Jesus presenting this upside down kingdom of reversals and he presents them with this idea um, and the place where he starts, it's easy for us to look at the world and how awful it is, but Jesus doesn't let us start there with our weeping. He makes sure that as we weep, we weep because we see ourselves as we are. We see ourselves as we are. Now, this can be tough. This can be tough to swallow, that we see ourselves as those who need repentance. Now, what is repentance? I know I hear you asking me, why, that's a church word. What does repentance mean? What does that mean? It simply means this. You agree with God's assessment of where you are in light of his holiness. You see, this is why repentance, the longer I live, uh, the longer I realize that repentance and conversion is a miracle of God. Because it is hard for us to reckon with who we are. You see, the Bible presents us as those, the theological term for this is total depravity. Now, let me tell you what this don't mean. It doesn't mean that we're all axe murderers. I pray to God that we're not all axe murderers, not everybody. Um, It doesn't mean that all of us are as bad as we could possibly be. But it does mean that every single area of our life is touched by the rebellion and the, uh, the invertedness and turning away from God that characterizes our makeup. You see, that means even the best things that we do is at best a mixed bag. Even the best things you did, the most wonderful things about you, at best is a mixed bag because you have been touched with sin. And let me be clear, you have inherent dignity because you are made in the image of God. God 
created a blueprint for humanity, named him Jesus, and he is here and he has come for us and he models what perfect humanity looks like for us. But let me be clear, we don't live up to that image because we live in a way that looks nothing like Jesus much of the time. And so because of that, repentance says that you got to agree with God in light of his holiness. What do you mean in light of his holiness? This isn't about low self-esteem. This isn't about valuing yourself less. Look, you dope. You made an image of God. God loves you. All the things. But let me be clear. When laid aside God's perfect blueprint for what humanity should be, Jesus Christ, we all fall woefully short. And the way the gospel functions is that before we can get to the joy of the gospel, that we have to see ourselves in light of God's holiness, his perfection, his glory, his attributes, and say, God, woe is me because I am a sinful person and I dwell amongst other people that are sinful and I am undone in the presence of your holiness. You see, this is what happens to Isaiah in Isaiah 6, who becomes the prophet, one of the most consequential prophets in the history of earth. He sees himself in light of God because he sees God high and lifted up, sitting upon his throne with the train of the temple, with the train of his robe, feeling the temple, and he realizes in that moment that he is nothing close to what God calls him to be. And it's hard to start with yourself. You know, I have this, this revelation regularly. Um, it sucks too, I don't like it. That's all I think of myself is pretty dope. But so there's this dude. I pay this dude. I go and see him every couple weeks, all right? Gonna talk to him and say, you know, I sit down, I'll be telling him what be going on. I'm like, hey, bro, look, let me tell you about this scenario that's going on in my life. And I'm like, these people are insane, okay? Look, they wildin'. Now look, we in this situation, we having conversations. I know I'm right, because I mean I'm me, right? You know, so I took because I'm saved. Holy tongue talking, sanctified, Holy Ghost filled, fire baptized. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, and I done been to the seminary. I know Greek. Obviously, these people don't know what's going on. So anyway, let me tell you, never problem. He like, okay, tell me more. Let me tell you about this next year scenario. So I'm in this other place with another group of people who need to get themselves together. So I'm trying to explain to them why they need to get themselves together, but they also don't understand. And let me tell you about my childhood. Those people didn't understand. And then I go through all these scenarios and he'd be asking me random weird questions. Like, hey, can you see the commonality in all these scenarios? I'm like, yes, they all obviously don't know God like I know. They also, they probably need to come counseling because obviously I'm here, I'm working on myself. Maybe they should do the same thing. You know, yeah, I, I think the common denominator in all of these myriad of scenarios is you. And I'm like, Bro, who is paying you? Like, you're supposed to be on my side. Like, what is your problem, dude? Like, give me my money back. I'm not paying you for this. Paying for you to hype me up. You're supposed to be my professional hype man. He's like, nah, bro. So then I leave and come back. Um, But here's the point. I don't care who you are, how saved you are, how much you got together. It is hard to see yourself as you are. It's hard to understand that you ain't all that in a bag of red hot ripplets. It's hard to experience life and realize that there are ways that you need to trans- turn yourself back to God. And let me be clear, when we talk about seeing ourselves as we are, this is not only the salvific moment, but Martin Luther tells us that as Christians, we live lives of repentance. And so when we see ourselves as we are, it can be challenging. And Jesus says, before you experience the beauty of the gospel, I need to see, I need you to see yourself as you are. And that may break your heart, son or daughter. 
But that is the only way we have access to the kingdom. It's the only way that we can come to the cross, that we have to agree with God, that we have rebelled against him, that we have sinned. I know society tells you that there is no such thing as sin and there is no such thing as missing a mark. And we all believe that until somebody do something against us. You see, it, it sounds good that our sin is just a construct created by religious fanatics to control and enslave you. That sounds good until somebody hits your car and drives off, doesn't it? You see, we all don't like the concept of sin, evil, and things being done against us. We don't like that we have a God of justice until somebody commits an injustice against us. And all of a sudden, we want a God of justice now. We, we believe in sin when somebody lies to us, when somebody deceives us, when somebody takes money. All of a sudden, sin happens when your bank account is swiped at Foot Locker and you ain't been to Foot Locker in many years. All of a sudden, sin and justice becomes real. You see... God says, if you're going to experience my grace, you've got to first see yourself as you are. And only after you see yourself as you are, God then invites us to see the world as it is. This is why it is blessed to weep. Because when we see ourselves as God sees us, it can be heartbreaking. But then when we see the world as the Lord intended it, it will also break our heart. Do You see, Jesus says that we are weak when we not only see ourselves as we are, but we see the world as it is, as Christians, as believers. If you have your eyes open and you're really looking at yourself and really looking at the world, it is heartbreaking at times. And as those of us who have the blueprint for God's intention for humanity and God's intention for this world, we should be at many times the most heartbroken over all the things that are going on. You see, those first three chapters in your Bible contains the light motifs. It is front-loaded with God's intention for humanity, for his creation, for people. And if you look at the world around you, it looks nothing like those first three chapters. God created everything, every single thing, and he said it is good, it is good, it is good. And when we look around the world that we live in today, there are few things that we can look at today and say it is good. There are only a handful of things that we can say with confidence and we can say with our whole chest that this is good. In fact, so much that we experience looks like exactly what you think a world that is in exile and in rebellion against God would produce. And those of us who dwell in the commodity of truth that we call the Bible, that understand God's intention, we should actually be the most heartbroken over the world. We should be the most heartbroken over racism. We should be the most heartbroken over oppression, over abuse, over the destruction of the environment, over the murder of innocent children, over human trafficking, over economic disparities, over the exploitation of the poor. We should be the ones weeping the loudest against these things. And so God says, if you see the world as it is, it's like taking that red pill. It might unsettle you because all of a sudden you realize that I need to depend on Jesus for my righteousness. And this world is not as it should be, but we also need to know that God has never made peace with the death, decay, fallenness, and brokenness that is us and is our world. Because if this is the place where the text stopped, blessed are you who weep now, it would still be depressing. Blessed, uh, blessed are you who weep now, period. I, I would just cry from reading the text. That, that'd be it. You telling me, Jesus, that all I do, I, I just get to cry and just, yeah, it's just it's a cold world, bro. And that's exactly what the teaching of the philosophers are. If you are, let me fast forward. If you're in a philosophy degree right now, let me just tell you how it all ends. It's, it's, it's all meaningless, pointless, absurd, so have some fun while you can. Because 
Hey, it's wild out here, bro. Like, I'm like, I done read all these thousands of pages for you to tell me that. I could have just learned this myself. But if, if Jesus ended it there, he would be nothing. He would be no different than Foucault, Derrida, or any of those other guys. He would be exactly the same in advocating for an absurd existence in the universe. But that is not the Christian faith. I told you why we take seriously the depravity of humanity. We also take seriously the hope of the resurrection that says that nothing is too broken for God to redeem that no person is too broken for God to redeem. So while we weep now, we weep now and we're blessed because we're gonna laugh later. And it is God's grace and it's God's mercy and God's promises that allow us to laugh later. You see, not only do we see we weep because of ourselves and the world as it is, but we have an eschatological joy that's wrapped up in this simple word that says, you shall, you will. This is a promise from Jesus. You will laugh. And this isn't just like a little smirk. This isn't just a little chuckle. This is a whole belly laugh because of what God has accomplished. You see, in, uh, in Psalm chapter 2, there's this text. One of my favorite psalms in the Bible. It's a little known one, um, but it talks about what God does. It says here, it says, why do the nations rage and the people's plot? in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and his anointed one. That's his Christ saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. It sounds like these are the nations who are making war against God and Jesus. But listen to verse four, he who sits in heaven laughs. This is one of the few places in the Bible where God falls out. You ever laugh so hard you blacked out and seen stars? Maybe that's just me. You got to get some friends like mine. They will do this to you. But, but, but God is laughing because God says regardless of the sin, the evil, the brokenness, the problems, you, your sin, your struggle, your sickness, God will have the final laugh and the final victory. And so the word says that God laughed, and we are inter- in, in, invited into this eschatological joy and laughter. And the reason why the blessed will laugh is because we see ourselves as we are. But check this out. We laugh because we will see ourselves transformed. You see, the reason why we may mourn now, but we'll laugh later, is because in the end, when Jesus returns, he says, I'm going to make everything right. You see, in 1 John 3, 2, it says, it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Listen, please don't take for granted this idea that you will see God and be transformed. The ancient says that everybody will see God, everybody will have the beatific vision, and if you don't know Jesus, you'll be consumed and enter eternal judgment. Don't want that. But if you know Jesus, when you see him, you will be transformed in his image. That means, child of God, that sin that you are wrestling with, that sickness that is oppressing you, that thing that you just can't get over, that money that just can't get right. God says, when you see me, everything about you, your life, and your circumstance will be transformed into my image. Paul put it this way, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sin? You see that despite our fallenness, brokenness, weakness, raggediness, ratchetness, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And so we as God's people, while we mourn now, 
we're going to get the last laugh. And that, that just makes me happy because life be life in some time. I'll be, I don't know about y'all, but I'll be needing the gospel. I don't know how people just be going through life without the gospel. Like, goodness, good night. I'll be evangelizing. I'm like, dog, you, why are you doing this? Like, you can have hope, joy, peace, patience. Come, man, it is great over here knowing that God is going to take this mess and make a miracle out of it. But not only do we have joy because we see ourselves as we are and we're going to see ourselves transformed, we, we, we're blessed because we see the world as it is and that's trash sometimes, but we're blessed because we will laugh because we're also going to see the world transformed. We're going to see the world, we see it as it is and we see how we don't meet and the world is not as God intended and this isn't the way it's supposed to be and God ain't really feeling it like that. But what I love about the God of scripture is that he does not make peace with a fallen world. He does not make peace with sin and injustice. In fact, he says that in the uh, the restoration of all things, the unjust will give way to the just. The oppression will give way to flourishing. Hunger will give way to abundance. Sickness will will give way to healing. War will give way to peace and tears will give way to laughter. The old saints used to sing it this way. The wicked will cease from troubling. The weary shall be at rest. All the saints of the ages will sit around his feet and be blessed. We have something to look forward to when he will wipe every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more, neither shall there be any more mourning, crying, pain, because the former things will be passed away. Because he who is seated on the throne says, behold, I am making all things new. And so here, here's, the, here's the secret, though. Like, here, here's the, the and I'm, I'm just about done, man. I, that's the whole message. Um, ain't got a whole lot more to say about it. But I'm telling you, uh, what just brings joy to my life and heart is this. It's writing text. I already told you, but I'm telling you again. Um, it's this idea that we shall, this is a promise, we shall laugh. Do y'all realize, that, do y'all know who's saying this? This is Jesus. Like, if I say you shall laugh, maybe, I don't know. (laughs) But if Jesus says that you will have eschatological joy, and let me quit saying eschatological, because some of y'all don't know what that means. That just means when Jesus comes back and he fixes all the stuff. That's what eschatological means. When Jesus comes back, just, just, no problem, sorry about that. That's that's all it means. When Jesus comes back, he fixes all the stuff. That's it, I'm sorry, my bad. Uh, But look, when Jesus come back, fix all the stuff, including your life, body, all the stuff, all the things, you're going to have joy. But what I love about it is that the whole council of scripture teaches me that the eschaton, that's when Jesus comes back, that the new creation invades right now. That, that I not only have future hope and future hope and future grace, but I have hope and grace right now. You see, that's the whole point of the gospel. That's the whole point of this. This is when, when we're praying the Lord's Prayer and we say, your kingdom come and your will be done. That is right here, right now. Like, like that means that right now we can actually enter into that joy and laughter and don't have to wait until everything finishes up. Let, let, me, let me help you all. Let me help you all because maybe, you know, I don't say it, seminary words and stuff confusing people. So let me, let me try to throw something out here. That may help y'all, uh, uh, help, help people like me, like, kind of like, okay, what you, what you talking about? Let me, I'm going to say this word. Now, listen, if you got a job, if you got gainful employment, you're going to love this word, okay? And even if you don't have gainful employment, 
however you get your money, and I'm here to preach, not judge, however you get that paper, <laughs> whatever that looked like for you, talk to, you know, I just, hey, I ain't going to worry about it. But this one word is going to make you happy. You're going to smile when I say it. Guarantee you're going to smile. Okay? Want to hear it? Watch this. Boom. Payday. Not the candy bar. Payday. Hallelujah. Look at like hallelujah. <laughs> payday. It's the day that direct deposit hit. You know, even, you know, even if you're sitting here right now and you're, you're listening to me, and your bank account is a little ashy. Just the thought of payday. It just, just brings joy to your heart. If you're... If, your, if your, your cash app is a little malnourished right now, payday, just, just the thought of payday, it just makes you, whether that's every week, every two weeks, once a month, however, however daily, depending on how you hustle, however that worked for you, payday makes you happy. And here's what I know, just for most of the people that I'm thinking about, is that nobody, more than likely, is getting paid today. Because it's Sunday morning, and this, the banks don't do stuff today across the nation. Now, like I say, however you get your, do you. If that, you still can be like, Carlos, you don't know what I do. I'm getting paid. Hey, God bless you, man and woman of God. But for those of us who do legal things, today probably ain't the day we get in that direct deposit. There's a, a point in time for that. But we have joy just thinking about it, even though we didn't get a direct deposit as I'm talking, because we know what that feeling feels like. We've had a taste of it before, and we're looking forward to it. This, my friends, is called anticipation. You see, even if your bank account is empty right now, you know that when payday comes, there's going to be something in there, and you have enough confidence that however you get your money or whoever you work for, that they are going to come through and make sure that you're happy a week from now, two weeks from now, however, that works for you. And if you can have anticipation and put a smile on your face over what a corporation or a company or what somebody would do that's fallen, failable, and may lay you off tomorrow, if you can have joy about that, surely you can have joy when the only begotten son of God who has never failed you, who inflation can't hurt, who will never lay you off, when he says that I got some joy for you, if you can't have joy about, if you can have joy about that, surely you can have joy about what Jesus has promised. And so this joy that we have, people of God, this laughter is not only in the future, but we can experience it now. So, child of God, you can have joy in the midst of your tears right now because he is going to dry every tear from your eyes. You can laugh in the midst of your struggles right now because you know he is going to bear your burden. You can have assurance of your future because you know all the promises of God are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. You can have hope in the midst of loneliness because you know that he will never leave you nor forsake you. You can laugh in the midst of lack because you know that he will supply your every need according to his riches in glory. You can have joy in the midst of sickness and pain because you know that by his stripes you are healed. You can have assurance in the midst of your sin struggle because you know that if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You can have joy in the midst of your struggle with the world because Jesus has overcome the world. You can celebrate all of your weakness because his grace is sufficient and his strength is made perfect in weakness. You can have joy even as you have no strength and nothing but weakness because the Bible says that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount
mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You can have joy in your life, even if you don't know what your future holds, because the Bible says, I know the plans that I have towards you, says the Lord. Plans for peace and not for evil, to give you a hope and an expected end. You can have joy in the midst of your battles, because the Bible says the battle is not yours, but it is the Lord. You can laugh in the face of difficulty, because you know that all things work together for good for those who know God and those who are called according to his purpose. The promise of God is as good as done. So you can laugh now because you know that whatever you are going through, Christ is going to bring you through. And so the tears that you cry now, child of God, should also be tempered and even mingled with laughter, knowing that the future hope of Christ still stands. And so as we, I'm, I'm done preaching, I'm finished all that stuff now. I, I want to encourage you today that, yes, when you see yourself as you are, if we are honest, if we're looking through a gospel lens, when we lay our lives next to the holiness of God, we're honest, we fall far short. I didn't say lay yourself next to folks who you think ain't got together like you. I said lay yourself next to Jesus. We find out we fall so, so far short of perfection. If we're honest with ourselves, it can break our hearts. But listen, that breaking, that weeping when we see ourselves is the only way to restoration and redemption. If you just keep walking around telling yourself, I'm good, ain't no such thing as sin, I ain't got together, you shut yourself out from the life of the gospel. But if you say what God says about your sin, if you say, you know what, God has a standard. It's, it's easy and it's nice to pretend like he doesn't, but he does. How do I know he does? Because when we don't live according to that standard, we get hurt and people get hurt. I had a lady who used to say to us all the time, sin splatters. There's no such thing as sin that only affects you. It gets on everybody around you. What God says is that I know it's hard to look yourself in the mirror and see some of the ways that you fall short. But God is saying, listen, I'm not telling you that because I want you to have low self-esteem because I just want you to feel shame because I want you to hide. Listen, Jesus took all of our shame on the cross. He's not trying to shame you. He's actually saying, he's doing the opposite of shame because shame hides us. Jesus says, come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. And he's saying, I'm showing you yourself so that you can come to me in truth. But not only do we see ourselves, but we see this world. And if you are grieved by the state of the world, if you are seeing what's going on in this world and it just weighs you down and you don't know sometimes why I just feel like you wake up and you watch the news and it's just depressing. The Bible says you're actually blessed because you're seeing it. If there, even if you're not a Christian, even if there's something in you that's saying this ain't the way it's supposed to be, I'm here to tell you that it's actually God because if, if everything's absurd, then there's no standard and it just is what it is. But if there's a tension that you feel that things are not as it should be, that's actually God saying that, hey, I'm the standard of perfection. This ain't the world that I designed, and I don't like it. And then he invites us as his people into his restoration and reconciliation of this world. But wherever you are, even if you are a Christian, I'm not just talking to the unbelievers. I'm talking to the believers too. Y'all, we need to repent. There's some stuff that if we're honest, we're Christians, we're believers, we profess Jesus, we hear every Sunday, and we've made peace with some stuff that God hasn't made peace with. There's some sins that we have made peace with, that we are living with, and we ain't shed a tear over in a long time. And God is saying, 
are you seeing your life the way I'm seeing your life? We've gotten real comfortable in a fallen world and we're just going along with the stream. God is saying, you don't, you don't seem to be swimming upstream much nowadays. Seems like you're just kind of going with the flow. Are you sure you're seeing the world as I see it? I want to transform you and I want to transform the world through you. But you got to see the way I see it. And so listen, we're going to have, uh, we're going to have some worship. We're going to sing a little more. We're going to uh, just spend time in the presence of the Lord. We're going to have our counselors up front here. We'll have brothers and sisters, um, our response team rather, um, who, are, um, who are just brothers and sisters who love the Lord, can pray with you, can pray for you. If you need prayer for some of the stuff I mentioned or none of the stuff I mentioned, uh, maybe you just got a whole nother ball of something else going on. Listen, don't leave out of here burden. There's a unique way that God shows up in the gathered people of God that we just don't experience in the closet by ourselves. There's a unique deliverance that he breathes when we are together and when the saints do what God has called us to do, which is to pray for one another and bear one another's burdens. And so if you have a burden, I want to invite you. The altar will be open. We'll have um, our response team here. But let's go before the Lord in worship and prayer as we seek his face. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that we are blessed when we see this world as you see it. God, it doesn't always feel good. It doesn't always feel like positive vibes. But God, your word says that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And so God, when we see this world in truth and see it through your eyes, it's hard to just get satisfied with ourselves. It's hard to just get satisfied with the world as it is. But thank you that you don't just call us to weep, God. You call us to joy. You call us to happiness. You call us to know that you, through the power of the resurrection, is going to restore both us, body and soul, and restore this broken world. So God, I pray that you would do a work in us today. And I also pray that you would have let us get a taste of that joy today as we embrace your promises, God. And I pray that you would have used us as agents of that restoration today in a world that desp desperately needs your grace and your hope. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. The altar is open. Let us stand together as we worship. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray this message has impacted you in a meaningful way. If you want to know more about how Jesus can change your life, we would love to connect with you further. Send an email to hello at refreshcommunity.church or come visit us at 829 North Hanley Road in University City, Missouri. Be sure to subscribe and share the podcast with your friends. Thanks for listening and see you next time.